Hi everyone, Bicycle Mark with you. Just a quick pre-show note. This was actually recorded, I'm speaking to you in July of 2021, but this was recorded in late May. This is a show with Matthew Dons, who uh, was getting ready at that time, well, getting closer to a surgery. He's now in the hospital, ups and downs in terms of the recovery process. Um, but uh, I wanted to make a note here because here Matthew is talking in, in great spirits, and it's worth noting that right now he is struggling with a recovery from a, uh, a rather intense surgery, and uh, I don't know, he's in, he's in my thoughts, and I read his updates, and you can too, uh, matthewdons.com org and also facebook i'll put a link anyway forgive the delay with these recordings um life and work so much work and all these excuses here we go podcast time Here we are. Hello, everyone out there all over the world. It's another edition of Citizen Reporter. I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, and oh, for more than a year now, we've been catching up uh, with friends, especially during COVID. But today, I'd like to steer that in another, another direction, although COVID is always in the background, uh, virtual and uh, real uh, in many ways. Uh, today on the program, a returning champion... Uh, let's not waste any time. Let's say hello to Matthew Dons. Hello, Matthew. Hello. Greetings from sunny Tokyo, although it's nighttime here now. Yeah, but it was a sunny one when it was daytime. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and, and Matthew, you and I haven't done a podcast um, probably in over a year because at the beginning of COVID, we we checked in. So we've probably ju now just over the one year uh, mark where I started down the road of asking people how they're doing. You were one of the first. Yeah, I think, yeah, it would have been, yeah, March, I guess. So things were just um, really kicking off. Yeah. And yeah, it was becoming clear that this was quite a, going to be quite a serious thing. Yeah. And, and you and I have also been engaged on this podcast in discussing uh, the your health condition which is uh you you are living with cancer um you're so a lot of people say battling cancer uh and as we've established on this program you're 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 fighting a battle but you're fighting a can i say a losing battle to cancer and yet you carry on yeah i think it's it's fair to say that and you know mm. There's always talk in the, in the cancer community about what terms we should use. Mm -hmm. Some people call themselves cancer warriors. <laughs> um, some people talk about cancer survivors. Um, I generally don't care. The, the, only, the only thing I do always like to point out is that, you know, I'm alive mainly because of the doctors and nurses and cancer researchers um, and the people out there who pay for my treatment via crowdfunding. Um, mm -hmm. Those um, 
those four groups of people, doctors, nurses, cancer researchers, and uh, donors, um, yeah, they, <laughs> they're the ones responsible for me being um, alive now, coming up to f- five years since I was diagnosed with terminal cancer in summer of 2016. Yeah. Um, so that's why, yeah, I don't, it, it's good to say battling cancer because it is a battle. Um, but yeah, I'm not, um, I'm not any kind of brave person or doing particularly well. I just have uh, great supporters and very good medical people, I guess. Yeah. I mean, for, for people who may be, because that is always a thing with podcasts, right? There are people who listen for the first time or who have only been listening for a few months. And of course, the beauty of uh, this program, I was going to say our program, Matthew, because you've been with me <laughs> since way back. Uh, we get such a mix, right, of people listening. So uh, just briefly, let's take them back. It's It was uh, 20, 2016? 2016, I was 36. and. Um, I had a bad reaction to some antibiotics and the doctor was a bit suspicious and she said, do some blood tests and a chest x-ray and this kind of thing. And eventually, um, as in (laughs) within a week of doing some tests, it was found I had uh, cancer and then a scan revealed it had spread, which uh, spread like um, to distant organs in the body, which means it's terminal. And then a, a second scan, a different type of scan, a PET scan revealed that it had spread to the abdominal membrane, uh, which at that time meant I realistically had sort of seven to nine months to live. Um, that's with good treatment. Um, and that was almost... Five years ago now. Yeah. So. And and back then, you know, and I want to come back to a lot of these subjects for sure, but there's so many things to talk about at such a moment. And, you know, there was how you were feeling, what you were thinking about. And of course, there's the people around you, your uh, a father, your uh, a partner, a husband, officially. Um, yeah. And your, uh, you're a son. You're many things to many people. Um, and at times like that, certainly you can always uh, talk about, and I think we, we did, uh, those relationships and how they're, uh, how they're impacted or, or what are the conversations these days, those days. Um, and then there was also this element, the scientific element. You are a, a technical mind. You're a hacker at heart. And like any good hacker, I would say, as I saw it, you really got into knowing more. I mean, you have always wanted to know more anyway about everything. Uh, and certainly when it came to cancer, uh, treatments, there was also the element of uh, immunotherapy, which uh, was seen at that time as something new. Uh, I don't know what the community looks at it now. The medical community, I think, it must be uh, better understood. And I've certainly run into it more in my in my limited uh, uh, conversations with people on this subject. So it's like amazing how many things have come up at the time and have been with you over these years and maybe even your own thinking. Um, starting with, for example, let's start backwards. Immunotherapy, right? There's this, you looked at it as, I'm going to need this. This could help. Yeah, I think um, a lot of that come. Yeah, come, both of us are 
you know, we're, we're hackers and part of the hacker community. And a big part of hacking is an inability to take no for an answer, um, being very skeptical of the standard narrative that we are given. Um, and I think also not being intimidated by things that we don't understand. So I think, you know, when you're a hacker, typically you are dealing with stuff where you don't really understand what's going on because maybe the information is very limited or being deliberately restricted and you have to kind of make sense of it. And so I had this situation where five years ago, my knowledge of human biology was um, appalling and uh, my knowledge of oncology was almost non-existent and my knowledge of immunotherapy was non-existent. Um, but that wasn't like a big deal. It was just hmm. a case of, well, okay, I've got a lot of learning to do. Um, I need to get learning quickly. Um, I have months to get, you know, or possibly even less to uh, get to a point where I know a lot more about this than the um, the direct medical practitioners I'm in contact with. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, then I sort of discovered about this whole world of immunotherapy, yeah. um, which it's a word that's, in oncology, so in, in like cancer medicine, it's often used in two different ways. So there's the idea of drugs that work in the same way that your immune system works. So that could, so instead of chemotherapy, which is using poisons to try and uh, destroy cancer cells, hopefully not destroying the patient, uh, there are a whole families of drugs that work a bit like the way your immune system works. So they will target cancer cells and destroy them. Um, but then there's another meaning of the term immunotherapy, which is far more exciting and powerful, I think, which is uh, drugs that actually, instead of just functioning in a similar way to your immune system, they actually make your immune system work better. So um, that may be a drug that kind of labels the cancer cells so that your immune system can attack those cancer cells. It could be a drug that stops the cancer from suppressing your immune system. Um, in my case, I have something which really isn't a drug, which is I have a special therapy called adoptive it's called adoptive cell transfer. So my white blood cells are filtered out of my blood and they're taken to a lab and they are allowed and encouraged to grow and divide and whatever. Hmm. And uh, a few weeks later, I return to the clinic hospital and I have uh, a drip with um, something like a million times more white blood cells put in and because the original cells are my own white blood cells it means that 
my body isn't going to like have an allergic reaction. Um, so there's, uh, you know, far fewer side effects, almost zero risk of serious side effects. Um, and yeah, so that's one of the immunotherapies I've been having and I think is the main one, which is why I'm alive now. Mm. But yeah, as I said, it does, it comes back to this hacker mentality of, you know, some people define hacking as just sort of a, you know, a continual pursuit of trying to find out what's going on in, the, in behind the scenes and uh, ask, you know, asking questions and never stopping asking questions. Yeah. Um, Let me ask you something, Matthew. Like, uh, when I think back to 2016, and I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that even before Corona, I was able to come visit uh uh, twice and um, wish wish I could do it again. Uh, starting to feel the effects of not being able to get over there in in quite a while. But um, at the time, you know, the goal was uh, among the other goals. It was more time, right? Uh, when when you're given a sort of uh, what's it called a diagnosis that says time Prognosis. is limited. Say again. Prognosis. 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 There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking of the wrong word. So when you're given a prognosis of uh, you don't have a lot of time, at that time the the the, the thought is, I want more time, right? Uh, yeah. And and interestingly, like you have managed and and you've given full credit to why that is or how that's happened, um, but you've managed to to get more time or make more time. I don't know how you see it, <laughs> but it's here, right? It's it's been happening. Um, which I consider something tremendous. In fact, like if I think of your children, you know, the, the years you get to, you've gotten to have with them and could still, um, I don't know, co comment on that. Like uh, from, from six to seven months to, Hey, it's been over five years. Um, yeah, it, those <laughs> five years have passed very quickly. <laughs> there, is that. there is that. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, um, I haven't necessarily used that time. Wisely. <laughs> um, which, debatable. You know, which is interesting, which is, you know, which I think is really interesting and is, you know, is worth dwelling on that when you are diagnosed with a terminal illness, you don't magically get like this kind of clarity that allows you to stop wasting time. Um, you don't become like super efficient um, <laughs> around, you don't change magically why would they um and yet yeah i'd sort of often have this kind of thought of like well surely now that i know i have a very limited amount of time to live obviously i'm not going to be wasting any time am i and yet the reality is is not like that at all um and yeah in definitely for the first year I was really uh in so much in such a state of conflict because I had I sort of felt on the one hand I should spend 100% of my time trying to live longer and on the other hand I should spend 100% of my time focusing on my kids mm -hmm. how could I possibly justify visiting a load of different hospitals for example um when those are days away from the kids and 
that conflict never really resolved. Um, mm-hmm. Just yeah, as, you know, I've I've had more and more time, and having having more time as a terminal cancer patient, particularly at this time in human history, is is very significant because the rate of the rate at which new treatments become available is accelerating. So just having a little bit more time might mean another treatment becomes available that then gives you a lot more time. And you could sort of potentially surf this kind of wave of Mm. new treatments. Um, Now, when I say new treatments, I'd be careful because they're typically going to be treatments that were developed 10 years ago proven to work five years ago and are finally becoming available on a proper scale, right? So, um, you know, when you have terminal cancer, often people say, oh, I saw this new breakthrough on the news. Mm -hmm. Um, That could help you. And you have to say, well, yeah, that could help me in 10 years' time. (laughs) Right. Um, If you hear about something on the news, it, you know, it's it's generally going to be 10 years down the line if it's a if it's a cancer treatment because that's realistically that's how long it takes to um develop and test this stuff so um but then particularly with immunotherapy there's this other aspect of having more time which is that if the treatments that you're having help your immune system work better then the line between palliative care which is essentially care to make your quality of life better and potentially give you a bit more time the line between that and curative care is kind of blurred a bit you know if you can if you can live longer and with your body in a reasonable condition then you can have more treatment in total and you can have a bigger variety of treatments and these two things seem to be quite key in living a lot, lot longer and potentially being cured. So, for example, when I was diagnosed five years ago, typically for cancer, if cancer spread to a distant part of your body, no surgery would help you. Right? It was that was like the definition of terminal cancer. So, what's called stage four cancer. So, this means the cancer is spread out of the organ where it started into a distant organ. So that might be lung cancer spread to your spine or uh, liver cancer has spread into your kidneys, for example. Um, And that was essentially game over. Now, because of some of these new treatments, it's finally becoming possible that, you know, if you can live a bit longer and have even more treatment, then, for example, the tumours might shrink enough that a surgeon could safely remove them, and that could be a curative treatment. Um, now, you're not cured at that time. You're cured five to ten years later um, because cancer does tend – well, we, t- we say cancer tends to come back. It doesn't really come back. It's there all the time. Mm-hmm. but was hiding so if you have all the cancer successfully removed from your body 
you're then going to be looking at five years plus of scans and blood tests. And you get to a point where the surgeon or, the, or your oncologist will say, you know, you need a scan every couple of years from now on. And your chance of the cancer reappearing is similar to the chance of any non-cancer patient getting cancer. And that's what we'd say is kind of cured. Um, yeah, so the more time thing is very, very significant. On the other hand, I don't feel like it's my five years particularly well. Um, you don't, you know, you don't get any magic wisdom when you're diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, you're still the same person as you were. <laughs> So, uh, it's interesting because yeah. we get, you know, I mean, we live in the world of images and and stories and uh, only certain ones seem to spread and, and get picked up and shared. And certainly, uh, I think we've already grown up with lots of films or, or, or inspiring stories of what always seems like, yes, you you had a terminal uh, uh prognosis and and now you're you're very wise or you have something to tell the world or you'll do a ted talk and, yeah exactly, uh, <laughs> exactly. and you know it's like um if you remember that scene in taxi driver where travis bickle you know he's got these bad thoughts in his mind and he goes to talk to the wizard who's like this older experienced taxi driver and the wizard gives him this philosophical talk saying like you become the job you are and you know one guy he's a doctor and he the guy's a doctor and it's like one guy's born and other guys don't and Travis Bickle you know says that's the most dumb bullshit I've ever heard <laughs> and Wizard says like well what do I know I'm, I'm a taxi driver and I think yeah it's a similar thing you know it's I remember as as a in my in my early teens I watched King Lear hmm. and I was really struck by you know, this is such a powerful play because you've got this really old guy who is stupid. Right? King Lear is, a, is an idiot. And um, old people are just as stupid as anyone else, mm. maybe more so. And it's if you have terminal cancer, you don't suddenly like become really knowledgeable about death and dying and living. Um, and, you know, I, I know a little bit about some areas of cancer, I'm always surprised at about certain patients surviving on time who still know none of the basics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. It's, it's not a requirement to uh, live longer to know everything. But yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and also I always try and be careful in that, you know, I've, I've studied a lot about cancer. I've looked hard for treatments and I'm alive after five years. Though Those are not necessarily related. Mm. Right. So, so there's this thing called survivor bias, right? So, you know, you hear, oh, this person drunk this Chinese herbal tea every day and five years later they're still alive despite terminal cancer. Well, we don't hear about the tens of thousands who drink the same Chinese herbal tea and didn't make it past a few months. Right. They're dead, so we don't hear about them. Mm-hmm. So this is survivor bias and it's, you know, it's, it's true of any drug any treatment any therapy whether it's an alternative treatment or an emerging treatment um so we do have to be careful you know i would like to believe that my study and that kind of thing has made some (laughs) 
contribution to my survival, but there's no reason to believe it has. Except that you yeah. would like to. That's that's something. Except I'd like <laughs> yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. 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 Maybe if without any arena therapy, maybe I would have just, mm. you know, maybe I was just a very good responder, as they say. Mm. Um, you said something in a message to me recently uh, that I certainly, obviously, we we didn't think about all those years ago. But you said, um, and you'll you'll fix my quote. <laughs> but uh, one of the hardest things or strangest things is um, all the people that you've met along the way uh, that were uh, also had cancer that are now gone, right? Uh, uh, yeah, that's. Um... And that's the kind of the double-edged sword of, of the cancer community, right? So, you know, there, we're in Facebook groups and people follow each other on Twitter and there are web forums. And, of course, there are community groups. You know, pre-COVID, people were – some people were meeting up with other patients and exchanging ideas and support. Um, and, yeah, after a while, you know, obviously most of those are not – going to be around um especially if you're in in groups where it's for terminal cancer patients yeah. and and yeah the way it happens with online stuff is that you know you send these people messages and get to know people and at a certain point there are no replies and then you kind of typically at three o'clock in the morning or whatever, I'll be Googling someone and sadly find their obituary. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's weird. I mean, it's, it's a very strange thing because I'm, yeah, pre-cancer, I hardly had, knew anyone who died. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, particularly, and, and of course, uh, social media skews massively to under fifties, right? So you tend to know a lot of people in their, 20s 30s 40s with cancer if you if you join a cancer facebook group most of the people and they're going to be under 50 hmm. because facebook i don't know what the stat is at the moment um but at least pre-covid it was you know 70 percent of facebook users are under 50 yeah. um that can give you a false impression that you know all these young people have got cancer um which, you know, is not really true. Um, cancer cases do seem to be rising slightly in younger people, mm. whether that's um, because more younger people have cancer or whether it's because of better detection rates. Um, but a lot of it is people posting on social media yeah. <laughs> about their cancer, and it's an inherently biased thing. Um so it is really sad, you know, when you um, get to know, got to know a, a, an American girl who was, I say girl, she was like 19. Mm. Um, I got to know her when she'd just started university. And yeah, her treatment was very tough. She couldn't have any more treatment. And uh, I stopped hearing from her. And then later on, a kind of another acquaintance said, uh, yeah, unfortunately, she didn't make it. And you hear that sort of thing again and again and again. Um, I've met quite a few cancer patients over the years in the various hospitals and clinics here. And, yeah, most of those are not around anymore. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, it's uh, it is a weird feeling to go from five years ago almost knowing no one who had died to now. Yeah, <laughs> quite yep. a lot of them. Yeah, it's 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 one of those types of conversations that in I think in in uh, a lot of people's lives who don't have someone uh, currently uh, with cancer and and struggling to survive um you would only hear at a certain age like i think of my father uh who, who is uh doing well now 80 uh mm. but my father has that if i go to his hometown in portugal with him you can get in these conversation modes just by walking around where yeah. you're like remembering that house and how that used yeah. to be but everyone referred to is dead uh and and yeah. and i can even see my father sometimes sort of he knows but you know there are these moments where it occurs to him like oh man all these people you know like uh all gone now and that becomes the standard story i mean then they also live in a retirement well a community where a lot of people are retired in florida and and uh again you know it's actually the what i find in in those places is that people are have a there is a sort of um understanding of it in a way because it's such a a regular way of talking and it's also a reality uh, that will will happen around them, but that's yeah, that's quite different from uh, when you start talking about a uh, a situation like cancer and people under uh, you know that are not elderly. That's where this really really differs. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because I think like we all hope that you know we get to deal with death at the time when we're kind of ready. Right? Uh -huh. You know, we hope that. Um, our parents die after our, you know, hopefully quite a while after our grandparents have died and mm -hmm. that, you know, we're adults possibly with our own families. And, you know, that's, that's how, how we hope things will work out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, death is obviously not an easy thing at any time, but I think we kind of hope that, yeah, the, the deaths, um, start to happen when we're at an age and a life experience where it's kind of more manageable. Um, so yeah, it is quite strange. It is quite strange yeah. for me to be, um, yeah, always concerned if I don't get a reply back from people for yeah. weeks. Yeah. Um, I think like, mm. It's, it's interesting too, like I want to steer us in a slightly different direction, but something I definitely want to talk to you about, um, you know, you and I know each other from originally going to hacker uh, conferences, the, the great CCC conference in, in Berlin. And uh, I want to bring up a name here. He's unfortunately passed away, not not cancer. Uh, and and uh, we did not know, I didn't know um, that it was related to diabetes or that he had diabetes. Uh, and that's Dan Kaminsky. Um, and I'm curious, uh, and I think it's, I think it's, of, I mean, it's my podcast, so I, I want to talk about this and, uh, share a bit. I mean, I knew Dan as someone who presented at the conference and because I would present, we were often in the, the back room, but actually it didn't matter. I mean, cause you would walk around and you'd run into him and often, you know, had dinners with lots of friends where he was also at the table, part of conversations. And then over time. Uh, coming back to this use of social media, 
you know, he may be in, in the West Coast or wherever he was in the USC. I don't even know exactly where he was, uh, I, I think, uh, West Coast. And I would see him on social media. So if I had a question or a comment, or sometimes it wasn't even for him, but he would answer. So I knew in my mind, oh, that's Dan, and he's still out there. And we still talk to each other, uh, even if it's in a context of like Twitter. And then, you know, to one day see, or last week or two weeks ago, see the message saying uh, from someone else saying, oh, Dan passed away. It's a very hard to wrap my head around idea. It's, it's like what you say, you take for, well, you didn't say take for granted, but I'm adding that part that you you write messages to people or you, you, you have these ongoing conversations that have no real end um, and you pick up on them when you pick up on them until one day you hopefully doesn't happen, but then the other person doesn't answer and then you start investigating. Um, I don't know, but but tell me, uh, yeah, when you say Dan Kaminsky, what, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, so I, I only met him a couple of times. Um, you know, I think we should say kind of what he did and how he did it and what was kind of, I get kind of unique about him really. So. Um, he he looked into very deep security problems that were not bugs that were not or not at least not generally bugs not generally sort of um, a problem with a new bit of software he looked into deep problems in the underlying protocols that the internet is built out of essentially so, you know, protocol is an agreement about what needs to be done to send an email or move around a bit of data or look up the address of something, a computer or whatever. And he looked into very fundamental problems with uh, TCPIP, which is the most famous family of protocols. And he, you know, discovered lots of, issues and he was very interested and enthusiastic about um going really 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 deep on this stuff um but i think he was very very good at explaining his findings in ways that suited the person or people he were talk he was talking to and he was able to do something which is incredibly difficult with technology, which is to simplify things without them becoming incorrect. So he was able to talk to um, a tech journalist, for example, in a way that matched their audience. He would be able to talk to a regular journalist in a way that would make sense to people who don't really understand anything about how the internet works and how the web works. So, and you know, I, in fact, I, remember, I remember very, very clearly the first time I met him and um, I was uh, in Alexander Platz and he had, so he gave, he used to give these talks called Black Ops of TCP IP. Um, and he would sort of give these talks in the, at the CCC, so the Chaos uh, Communication Congress when it was held in Berlin um and defcon and these other events and yeah i remember you know at that time i knew nothing about anything 
and I was just just starting to discover the wonderful world of TCP/IP, and um, yeah, I just remember him as sort of being, you know, not being condescending. I mean, you know, the the, the elephant in the room is that you know in the tech community and sadly in the hacking community specifically, there's a lot of elitism, arrogance. Um, there's a lot of infighting and just general silliness and Dan never really seemed to be part of that he, he was he was really just a really great guy and really um really helpful and really particularly helpful at explaining stuff and good at matching his level of explanation to the person doing the asking um so yeah I mean he, you know he, he was about uh, I think he was 10 months older than me so he, he was uh, 42 and yeah I had no idea he had um, uh, underlying health conditions um, and it was yeah I you know found out on Twitter I remember when I saw, when I saw um, the, the the tweet it didn't use the word die or dead right Gone. and I was suddenly thinking and, and I'm sure this has happened to you over the past few years where you you hear about someone in the community. So you hear something about someone in the community and it sounds like, it sounds like or it could be interpreted as this person has done something bad. And oh, they're you know, out. <laughs> yes. They're, they're out. <laughs> yeah. Can, yeah. You know, however you sure. like to put it, cancer culture, whatever. There, there's just this. Um, yeah. and, and then sadly, a bit of Googling revealed he had, he had passed away. And, um, you know, I think, yeah, so for me, I, I very much liked him as a person. I liked his personality and his style, I guess. I, very, you know, he's talking about very complicated, very important things in a very accessible way. But also, I was a massive, massive, massive fan of his work because we are living in a very different world to the one when ARPANET was made in the 60s and 70s and then later on the internet and then on top of that we built the web and even the web has changed a lot since you know you and I first took our baby steps I mean you know your GeoCities website or whatever <laughs> and um, I, I, was, I was just think, I was just thinking recently about when I, I was excited to get a Gmail account if you remember, like Gmail was you had to get was, an invite. <laughs> Gmail was invite only, and you know it gave you <laughs> half gig of storage space or something like that. The same, the same with Dropbox. It was like, it was an exciting thing because it you didn't you you get a Dropbox invite and then you'd invite some people and get more storage. Um, and you know, in that world, the networks were designed to be open. Part of the you know, I guess you could say one of the old school hacker beliefs was like security was seen as like a fault almost. You know, if you think about like the MIT um, kind of hacker ethic um, of people not having usernames and passwords because they'd get in the way and, you know, this kind of get in the way of sharing information and whatever. Um, and, you know, Dan was looking into these sort of protocols and, you know, the, the security was either absent or very poor. 
Um, he was particularly interested in a protocol called DNS, uh, the the domain name system, which is the set of, or the protocol that converts a web address into an IP address. And he found some, yeah, he found ways to push it to limits that were not envisioned <laughs> years and years and years ago when it was started. In um, I guess that would have been mid. Um, early nine, yeah, must have been early nineties or very very late eighties, I guess. Because so you know, originally there was no DNS, right? You had IP addresses, and everyone had like a paper file, right, with a sheet of IP addresses and a sheet of domain names. And I guess it was the just before the web that um, people were what well, we wouldn't call them domain host names, I should say. So before the web. Computers had names, um, host names, and you would have a physical sheet of paper. And you would update the directory when people added new computers to the internet. And um, so none, none of this stuff is is designed to be secure, because at the time it was much smaller scale, and the network was a few universities. Um, and you know, you and I are both concerned with security and privacy and i think we're particularly concerned with the security and privacy of people who are trying to create change in the world you know maybe people who have important information that they need to be able to um, get to other people and the tools that we have are generally not fit for purpose right right um so it's yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah, I think Dan, Dan's work was yeah extremely worthwhile and quite inspiring. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm obviously very sad that he's no longer with us. Yeah, and I always remember any event, like if you would look at who was speaking, or you know, you had an idea of who you might get to hang around with, who, whose stories you were going to listen to, you know, on the side or at, at a meal or, or just in the hallways. And if, if Dan was there, then you, well, first of all, you knew because there was usually a little bit of a crowd around him, mm -hmm. uh, but not, not in the, you know, your, your famous put you on a pedestal way, but usually because you're sort yeah. of holding court um, yeah. Yeah. with someone else. And, um, and it was always the, the, the funnest, he, he had a way of bringing humor into, I, I think it was just the way he did things um, either to laugh at something that's funny or even I think to laugh at himself. That's what I kind of remember. Yes. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, I, I found his talks particularly enjoyable, not just because of the content that I happen to be deep interested in, but yeah, the, the style and the, and the good humor. Uh, what's interesting is that uh, it is not a complete disaster. I mean, come on, how used to it? Look, look, guys, this is a piece of software. It listens on the open internet. It's written in a non-memory safe language. And if you own it, you get all the money. <laughs> this should have died immediately. <laughs> uh, but what's really crazy is when you actually dive into the thing, first of all, ignore all the friggin' specs and documentation and, oh yeah, that's a fucking lie. Um, no, no, this is one of the few things, if you don't read the code to Bitcoin, you have no freaking clue how it works, because they have not even bothered to update their, their specifications in ages. 
Um, what's really cool, and this is why a, a re-implementation of Bitcoin is actually a disaster, because huge amounts of the security model are represented with lines of code that are just missing. Like, you get to the point the bug's supposed to be there, and it's just not there. Yeah, so yeah, that all just came back to mind, you know, when you talk about, yeah, the, the way that we are always interacting with people that may not be the the full, you know, you're not someone who is standing right in front of someone or knocking on their physical door every day, um, but yet you're sending messages or you're communicating in some way that the other person will engage and and then time passes, right? So it's it's with some irregular regularity or regularity that's some, somewhat irregular yeah. and you one could even say i take it for granted personally you know you just we're all living our lives you're out there i'll send you a message uh or or you'll see a message from me and that's all beautiful sometimes but uh but this was also a moment where i realized like gee you know i i, I didn't know what was happening because you, you in some ways you can't unless you're really uh there with someone or or in constant communication um so i also had one of these moments of the limitations of relationships online <laughs> yeah and and i think also like when you yeah when you hear deaths through social media and there's a lot of instant rumor i mean sure the, the death, death was announced there was of course all this stuff of people saying did he have a bad reaction to a coronavirus vaccine or whatever yeah. and um a few days later actually one of his members of his family actually had to kind of release a statement saying it's, no yeah. dan did not pass away as a result of a bad yeah um, i've seen that headline a few times very odd at first and then i was like oh okay because there's rumors i guess yeah and you know you and i've talked before about things like the redistribution of fame Mm-hmm. So this is something I first heard from Danny O'Brien, who was the editor of uh, Wired UK, uh, who now works for the EFF. Mm. Um, in, uh, I guess, in mid-2000s, he gave this talk about blogging and how, you know, blogging was sort of causing a redistribution of fame. So there'd still be very, very famous people, but there was now this whole redistribution of fame for semi-famous people. Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember meeting you and you're like the first kind of proper celebrity I'd met. That's funny. Like, Very funny. Go on. <laughs> I remember um, meeting you at, uh, I think it was the CCC camp in uh, Finel Fort. Is it Finel Fort? Oh, yeah. Finel Fort, yeah. yeah. You know, the, the which was um, a hacker camp on a um it was a museum but it was a museum built out of an airbase yeah former east german and it was i just remember it was so exciting and so unreal meeting this celebrity bicycle mark that's funny and um (laughs) and realizing he's not a celebrity go on (laughs) (laughs) not not at all but how interesting it was this thing of like, I knew loads about you. Yeah. You know, it was oh, yeah. a very um, asymmetric relationship in the beginning, right? Because, yeah. you know, you had given this incredible talk um, that, you know, I, I was sitting, I, I remember sitting in your talk and thinking, this is going to change a lot. You know, this is going to really change the hacker community. And I think, you know, I still think it's a very seminal talk. You get, you gave a, 
a talk on pod, uh, well, citizen journalism, I believe you, you called your talk, like the rise of citizen journalism. Um, this is in Berlin, and you kind of introduced the whole, you know, whole community to this idea of citizen media, uh, podcasting, blogging, um, at a time when, you know, social media was not, I mean, didn't really exist, right? Um, and it was so exciting, and it was so seminal because it pointed out to this kind of smart, well-informed community oh, there's all this other stuff that you should know about or mm-hmm. could know about. And and then a few, mon- mon- yeah, a few months later, I was meeting you. I remember like, I, I can't remember if you gave a talk or whatever, but at, at that camp, but I, mm-hmm. I, I got up the courage and said, could I, could I, could I talk? In fact, I actually think I interviewed you. Mm-hmm. I, should, I should dig out the audio somewhere. But it was such an exciting thing that you can go and meet these celebrities, these usually inaccessible celebrities. Yeah, I was meeting this guy, Bicycle Mark. Yeah, yeah, I used to, I used to say that it was, uh, and I say I used to because I. Uh, it's so much more complex now, but I used to find it a healthier world in terms of like, you know, we grew up, you and I, with the kind of fame that uh, the, the person that you looked up to, if it was a record or if it was a, an act of uh, whatever, to actually know them, it would it would take a lot, you know, the chance of actually knowing someone. Maybe you'd yeah. shake their hand once, but it was that huge barrier, right, between someone who was seen as famous uh, and, and admired and someone who uh, follows their work. And, you know, I know it did happen in the past, but what I loved, of course, of early internet and and even early social media is that you could befriend someone um, who does work that you admire and yeah. and that friendship could be genuine. Uh, and, and I have that, for example, I mean, Chris Lydon uh, mm. is, for me, someone who's pro, I was just, lis- I'm a listener. Uh, in the end, yeah. that's all yeah. I really am. I'm a listener who is overly enthusiastic um, and and strategically sort of commented so that he'd notice mm-hmm. or he did notice my work and then invited me. And now I'm I, I, I feel like a member of his extended family. You know, I, I is very, very important to me. But how did all that happen? Well, because back then it was possible to to really become friends, you know, and, and get past that whole thing of like, oh, I like hero worship or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or fame worship, whatever that is. Um, yeah, that's what I loved about the early, <laughs> early social media. And I say early because I don't know if that's if that's happening now. It might be sometimes. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think it, it. Like I said, there's often this very asymmetric thing, and it is quite different to old celebrity stuff so so you know when we meet someone who is a personality well-known in the community um the things we know about them are different to the things that we would have known about a celebrity years and years ago um Mm -hmm. we may you know if if you if you went to a concert 30 years ago and hung around afterwards and got to meet the performers somehow hanging around this, you know, around the exits or whatever, <laughs> you might get a few seconds or possibly potentially a couple of minutes of conversation with them. And 
you would know scraps of information that were in the music media. Whereas if you get to know, if you get to meet someone who, you know, has a big social media following, you may have watched hours and hours and hours of YouTube right. videos. You know what their apartment looks like. Um, <laughs> you know what they drink because they might be doing YouTube videos sat there with it. So it's quite different. Um, you know, the, I think this redistribution of fame is kind of significant. Um, I'm always fascinated by, you know, is are there parallels we could draw from a long, long time ago, you know, when people lived in communities of 150 people and everyone knew everyone, or even in small towns where if you were a storekeeper, maybe everyone knew you because you were the person everyone had to go to to get the shoes. Um, so it's kind of, uh. yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how much of this is new, new and how much stuff has kind of disappeared, but it is, it is interesting. And I think generally it's positive. Um, there is always the issue of, you know, if you're someone publishing, putting stuff out there, there's always the issue of, you know, real celebrities have personal assistance to deal with stuff, possibly security. Um, and YouTubers don't or bloggers don't or podcasters don't generally. Um, so there's always that kind of um, weirdness of, uh, yeah, you make yourself accessible and open and of course, that yeah, that has some consequences, um, and yeah, even just the smallest thing of it being an asymmetric thing. I, you know, I years ago, eleven years ago, I organised a tech conference, and there were like hundred plus people there, and I did a lot of promotion for it beforehand. So I was in this strange situation where these hundred something people knew me, yes, and I personally <laughs> knew a couple of them. <laughs> Um, it's kind of cool, but also yeah. kind of odd. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing you, uh, running, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you came, you came. Second Barcamp, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, and you know, if you do, if you publish stuff on YouTube and, you know, you might, I mean, I, I have, yeah, had essentially no social media success, but still you can get videos with couple of thousand views or whatever so yeah um and i do lots of interviews or i've done quite a few interviews over the past five years and yeah. it is um yeah it's an interesting thing yeah yeah i mean we've we've seen things come you might say full circle i don't know if it really is a full circle but you know with this now the the goal for a lot of let's say podcasts is to look like it's homemade because that's one of the strengths clearly of uh, a podcast or 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 even a blog you know that it looks like or that it actually that it originally was personal um yeah. but and now we arrive at this moment where there are production teams uh, in some cases, right? If, if you have the funding, if you're, if you're that kind of organization that are busy with the objective of putting forward a product that looks like it's yeah. informal, yeah. 
personal and so forth. I mean, corporations also went through this with advertising, right? Uh, to make it as much as possible look like they are with you. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, yeah, and adver advertorials, right? Where the mm -hmm. print ad looks like a feature in the magazine or newspaper. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, partic particularly with YouTube. And I mean, the, the data on it is quite strong. You know, if you, if you, make a video with a uh, with your iphone um you tend to get um, better results than than with a high-end camera because yeah people think it's more authentic or people feel it's more believable hmm. <laughs> yes when it clearly isn't but uh, yeah but yeah, it's funny how all this, I mean, in discussing fame and relationships, I mean, uh, for us, all this began with just, you know, remembering uh, how we know Dan and and what, yeah, in, in a way, over the years, how that relationship uh, sustains, even if it's just one of reading somebody's updates and activities and going, ah, still, I'm still, I'm glad he's out there. And uh, unfortunately, yeah, now we come to this moment where, we can't say, you know, I'm glad he's out there in the in the new things sense, in the new conversations sense. Um, maybe on the bright side, a wealth of uh, talks and videos and, <clears throat> and documents that he that he left us, which is um, which is definitely something. Yeah, I, I think yeah, that's that's a, a very good point. Is that, and again, I guess, aren't, you know, aren't we lucky to be living in a time with with this kind of technology where, you know, you can yeah go on to archive.org and see all the talks from the CCC of Hope, yeah. DEF CON or whatever. Um, and you can go back and watch hours and hours. Yeah, it's amazing content. There's, so a, kind of, uh, 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 there's a funny service I want to tell you about because um, who knows, it could, could provide some entertainment. But um, the one I uh, use is called Forbal. And it, oh, this is yeah. Yeah. So I'm using this too. Okay. Um, so it's so funny to be listening to a radio program from the '90s or the early 2000s, and this service allows you to decide how often you get the latest show. So it starts on a list of files, and you can say, "I want once per week a radio show that from that feed." And so I'm living partially for an hour a week. I'm living in 2006 right now. And I'm, I'm listening to a comedy uh, a radio show that used to be in New York. Um, and it's, for me, it's like, well, I've always been this way, but it's still functional proof that you can really still enjoy things that are no longer, you know, on topic or, or even, you know, a lot of the jokes are even uh, sometimes no longer acceptable. Uh, you know, there's just a tinge there of, of patriarchy or, or, or sexism mm -hmm. and, and I'm not saying I'm listening to a sexist-themed uh, uh, radio program, <laughs> though maybe I am. But um, but that you 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 can listen and understand in a way what was going on, but you still get something out of it. I'm still getting something out of it um, in a fascinating. I find this this possibility in action very, I don't know, comforting to know that it's possible. Yeah, it's something that had a massive impact on on my life was that um, when I first lived in Japan 20 something years ago. So I arrived just at the time when uh, ADSL broadband was <laughs> being um, rolled out in a very big way in Japan. So in the end of 2001, 
And it was also around the time when uh, Emmanuel Goldstein was <laughs> uploading and publishing all his old recordings of his old radio shows. And he did this show called uh, Brain Damage on uh, WSB, yeah. the uh, University of Stony Brook student <laughs> radio station. And it was a two-hour show, and his his insights and topics were very, very interesting. But one of the things he did was he would play radio from that week from Europe, <laughs> uh, things like a program called Germany Today, and from uh, from the Soviet Union. He was playing um, Moscow Mailbag. Or Mos- Moscow mailbag, as the Americans would say. <laughs> it's a cow. Um, and it was incredible to, you know, me in uh, late 2001 to be listening to radio from the late 1980s in Europe yeah. via the medium of, of MP3 yeah. with my, uh, you know, newly discovered broadband connection. And um, what made that possible? He had set up the feed? Yes, yeah, so, so he um, just on on the two six hundred dot org website, yeah, yeah, yeah. they um, they just have the archives of all, all the shows, and because you know Manuel has done so much radio and has recorded so much of it on cassette or whatever, <laughs> um, occasionally there'll there'll be times when all this other stuff gets published as yeah. best of you know as they go, he and Kyle go through the archives. But it was um, an, an amazing thing to listen to what was happening in the late 80s. We had the Berlin Wall coming down, yeah. so, uh, Tiananmen Square massacre, um, reunification of Germany later on, and just how exciting it was for me in 2001 to be he- hearing what had, had been happening in um, 1980s Europe. Yeah. kind of uh, time, I mean you know it just feels like genuine time travel um, <laughs> right just yeah. time travel for the masses I find that this sort of the the mass audience has not I could be wrong obviously but ha- has not really grabbed on to that functionality that option on the internet maybe they never will that's not what it's for <laughs> but um but I, I'm always very excited when I see such things and I think more people would enjoy this but yeah yeah and I, I think with with podcasting specific, you know, specifically, there's kind of been waves of podcasting. There was a time when um, podcasting looked like it was kind of not exactly dying, but it had kind of peaked. And then mm-hmm. the iPhone came out, and it was like this massive thing again because yeah. all these people had never heard of podcasts. Suddenly, <laughs> had a device with a pre-installed podcatcher in their pocket. Yeah. Um, and then recently, as in like the last couple of years, often the most popular podcasts seem to be what you and I wouldn't even call a podcast, just sort <laughs> of actual yeah. audio without a big corporation. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, yeah, we still every day new incredible podcasts are being launched. Mm-hmm. Um, one that I've got so much out of over the past um year or so is a cold war conversations which is a oh, whole yeah. history project um interviewing people about their memories of the cold war um ah. which is a 
than our, you and I both grew up in. Yeah, um, yep, yep. Um, but yeah, all the time there are just more and more interesting podcasts being launched and yeah. I think it's it's kind of fantastic really. Yeah, no, it is, it is. And yeah, it's 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 still a matter, like so much of the internet, of knowing how to sort or search to to find these things, right? Because they're not always gonna appear on the front page of anything or the front of the app or whatever it is. Yeah. 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 And and this kind of curate this kind of self curation thing of we now we're now at a point where there's more more high quality stuff than we could ever deal with in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. What what do you choose to listen to or watch? Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, and you know to bring in coronavirus on you know we are very fortunate that this global pandemic is happening at this time, not even just. 10 years before mm-hmm. if you just think of what it would have been like in uh 2000 and let's say 2010 2011 mm-hmm. um without all these you know without free video conference right 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 without you know being able to um yeah share huge amounts of data at, at no cost around the world Yes. Um, yeah. It's kind of incredible. You know, I'm talking to you in, uh, are you in Amsterdam? Yep. Yes. Yep. And, you know, yesterday I was talking to Mitch in uh, oh, Berlin. Great. Day before that, talking to my parents in the UK. And, um, yeah, it's kind of incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's And it's good to, I think it's healthy to remember that in a way, like, not to be in awe of everything, but to to make note of of how yeah that's the impact that has or the i don't know there's yeah, something wonderful exactly. about it yep. and find new and cool ways to use it yeah it's it's really ways and... it's very trendy here now among the people i'm working with to talk about how great it is to get together it's like the the ongoing <laughs> thing. Like people are like, oh, it's so nice to see. Whenever there's an example where you actually get together with someone, yeah. which actually we shouldn't be doing because we don't have vaccines below us, like the age of 60, but all right, let's not go there right now. So, but it's such a trendy thing to say, you know, I much prefer in-person meetings. <laughs> uh, and I and I mentioned this probably in all my latest podcasts because I just can't get over how commonly it's said, um, like like yeah. like a discovery um, and I always think to myself, like, I never had anything against in-person meetings, but I'm still an advocate for the possibilities and creativity of what you could do actually with computers and, and internet. I think we, we actually don't push hard enough to play around, uh, yeah. with the tools yeah. we have. We, we've settled on this. I'll call you. There's a square. You'll look at me. I'll look at you. I might present something, but I think, you know, there's so much more we could be doing if we would allow ourselves to play. Um, but fair enough, you know, in person is wonderful. That's, but that was never a debate. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. And at least, you know, once coronavirus has settled down a bit, you know, the good thing is we don't have to make these kind of choices. We can just have everything. Um, yeah. And yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot more we could be using with our current technology. Um, you know, I it was just, um, yeah, recently Mitch was, was, um, saying about the joy of doing video stuff with multiple cameras mm. have a camera pointing down at your desk so you could be <laughs> sketching stuff out while talking so for 
for Mitch, you know, he's doing electronics workshops or whatever. Yeah. Um, but why not, you know, have, you know, teach a friend to play the keyboard, yes. you know, use, yes. um, you know, have, have a camera on, on your, on your screen and one pointed down at your keyboard. Yeah. So, yeah. so much cool stuff we can do. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Matthew, I'm worried that it's it's late where you are. <laughs> There's a yes. wealth of other things I would ask you, but it's 12:30 or more in uh, in Tokyo. It reminds me of that. There was always that commercial on American TV. I don't know what time. It was like 11:30 on weekdays, and it would say, "It's 11:30 p.m. in New York. Do you know where your children are?" <laughs> I'll I'll go find the audio and I'll stick that in right here. It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? Um, is it, I mean, isn't it amazing, like how memorable, you know, TV commercials are, or um, <laughs> public uh, service announcements? Yeah, or, or like um, what channel idents, like oh yeah, you know, when there, there are YouTube channels just dedicated to you know old TV commercials or old TV station idents, which is like, <laughs> incredible. Yes, yes, these are the treasures. Um, but so I'll, I'll end it here. Uh, but we'll just we'll just do it again. That that's the solution to talking about more yes. things. Um, it is in video terms. It's good to see you. In audio terms, it's great to hear your voice and listen to your thoughts. You you started this program by saying you haven't reached any big wisdom uh, with what's been going on in your life. But uh, I still find you to be a, a very wise uh, person. But I found that uh, long before there was cancer as well. <laughs> it's very kind of you to say that. But, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, let's let's do this again soon. Anything? Well, yeah, let's mention the... I'll put a link to the GoFundMe. Uh, sure, it's a, it's yeah. A good um, time to revisit Matthew Don's on GoFundMe. Yeah, so that's matthewdons.org, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-D-O-N-S.org, or caramoon.tech, K-A-R-A-M-O-O-N.T-E-C-H. Yeah. Um, they both just go to the GoFundMe page. Uh, you can see videos of my latest uh, medical news. Yeah. Um, and some practical stuff on, like, if you have a family member with cancer or if you are unfortunate enough to have cancer yourself. Yep. Um, so yeah, please take a look. Okay. All right. I'll say goodbye for now, my friend, but uh, we awesome. will take speak care. again. Yeah.